It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson is standing by. We'll get right to it. We're watching now uh, the Supreme Court on the steps, protests on both sides, pro-life, pro-choice, as they will begin dating, uh, debating this uh, this case uh, that could actually have the future of Roe v. Wade, maybe no longer being federal uh, federal law, could now be to the states. Uh, and it's all about whether a whether an infant is viable or whether a fetus is viable at 15 weeks or not. So we'll debate that going back and forth, and the audio arguments will be available. Obviously, no cameras in the court, but you'll be able to hear the debates live. And keep in mind, many people point to the fact that 6-3, more conservative judges uh, then not. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. CNN brought this on themselves. CNN allowed Chris Cuomo as a working journalist to cover his brother, despite the manifest conflict of interest. Some of Chris Cuomo's statements about the extent of his involvement were misleading at best and lies at worst. So, I mean, they never should have been in this position in the first place. It's true. Bill McGurn of the Wall Street Journal on special report last night. Chris Cuomo suspended not for helping his brother, but for lying about it. Did CNN do the right thing? And should he stay on Sirius Radio? Number two. How long does inflation have to run above your target before the Fed decides maybe it's not so transitory? I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. I think it's it's probably a good time to retire that that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. What you mean is it's going to be in and out quick or is it going to be around a long time, Jerome Powell? Market walloped. Inflation digs in. Gas prices rise. Biden spends. No wonder his political fortunes and our economy are in critical condition. Number one. If you have yeah. a negative test, if you're vaccinated, what conceivable justification is there for even considering such a grave deprivation of liberty as forcing you for seven days to lose the core freedom of movement over a virus that we're told there's an effective vaccine for. True, all true, Glenn Greenwald, who lives in Brazil but would like to come back here once in a while and not have to quarantine for seven days. Omicron, it looks like the most overhyped, irresponsible reaction to a transparent, responsible South African medical report ever. Restrictions rolling in, left-wing states taking more control. What gives me hope? The courts are standing up for the takeover to stop the takeover, and red states are standing strong. We will review. So to give you an idea of what is happening, uh, let's go to uh, our guest, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, first off, are you heartened by the fact that three mandates have been stayed by courts as they move up the wire by the president's executive action? Well, good morning, Brian. And yes, I am. Uh, but until they're completely eliminated, I'm, I'm not going to rest. Uh, people need to first understand how idiotic and how pointless the mandates are. If the vaccine were 100% effective, you could maybe see some justification, but unfortunately they're not. People can get infected, they can transmit. So what is the purpose of such divisive and life-altering uh, mandates uh, that are harming our healthcare system, our military readiness, you know, harming all kinds of areas of our economy? There's, they are just incredibly stupid. They make no sense. So I'm, I'm glad the courts are stepping in, uh, but we need to 
quash them out uh, throughout society. And what they're doing, Senator, and here's what the judge said, one of the things they said in the written uh, response and explaining on their decision to stay the order, says this, there's no question that mandating a vaccine uh, to 10.3 million healthcare workers is something that should have been done by Congress, not a government agency. It's not clear that even an act of Congress mandating a vaccine would be constitutional. So even if you guys approved it in Congress, these executive actions that the president promised not to take uh, should not be in place to begin with. It has created more division than even the 2020 and 20, uh, 2000 election, I think, in this country. And I would also argue whether we, Congress or anybody should be allowed to mandate a vaccine that's not fully approved. And when I say fully approved, I mean something that's gone through the phase two, phase three observational trials to take time. You know, nobody can tell you that this vaccine is perfectly safe long term because we just haven't had time to observe it. So this is a grand experiment. I'm, I'm very pro-vaccine. I was for Operation Warp Speed. I'm, I'm the champion of right to try. I think certainly vulnerable populations, the elderly, people immune compromised, uh, certainly should have the right to access this experimental vaccine, but to mandate it, to force this on anybody, particularly when, you know, because I've talked to the vaccine injured, vaccine injuries are real. The VAER system to, today, the latest report, over 19,000 deaths worldwide associated with these three vaccines, over 900,000 adverse events from the CDC, the FDA, is just looking the other way. They're going, what, what, me worry? What's there to look at here? I would be concerned if I were them. I'm certainly concerned being me. Uh, and we just real quick, what do they tell you about the Omicron variant? It looks benign. I mean, mild symptoms, mostly people under 40. And South Africa comes clean on it, and they get rewarded by being banned from traveling by almost all in all Western nations and the U.S.? Well, there's a concept called the Mueller's ratchet, and as viruses evolve, they become more contagious because they want to replicate, but they also become less lethal because killing your host doesn't help you replicate very well. So, again, that's sort of the, the general tendency of viruses. So why would we expect anything different with the, the, the coronavirus except for you want to create a state of fear to keep us in the state of fear to maintain the controls? And that's what you're seeing here in the United States. I mean, by the way, Fauci did the exact same thing with AIDS. He, he overhyped it. He created all kinds of fear, saying it could affect the entire population when it couldn't. And he's doing he's using the exact same play, playbook for COVID, ignoring therapy, pushing a vaccine. Uh, the solution to this, I've always felt, was early treatment. We still haven't robustly explored that. And that's a travesty. And I want to move on to the Supreme Court case. But last question on that. When 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 Anthony Fauci, who clearly is got there, you the Republicans seem to be gotten under his skin by asking questions. He says when you question him, you're really questioning science. And then you'd, he came back at Ted Cruz and said, what happened January 6th, Senator? What does that tell you about the doctor? He's arrogant, and he's trying to cover up for the fact that he did finance the dangerous, whether you call it gain of function or whatever, the dangerous research into altering genes. And then he stupidly shared it with the Chinese government. Now, again, he, he's got a lot to answer for. He's not answering for it. We're going to continue to press him for that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get access to his emails that were redacted under FOIA requests. We're trying to get access to those. We're getting him in dribs and drabs right right now. But the American public deserve the truth of exactly what Fauci did. So today, the Supreme Court begins uh, hearings on a on this uh, Missouri uh, Mississippi case. 
uh, and about abortion at 15 weeks. Is that something that should be viable as we revisit Roe v. Wade? Here's what Senator Janine Shaheen said, a warning to the Supreme Court, it sounds like. Cut 30. I think if you want to see a revolution, go ahead, outlaw Roe v. Wade and see what the response is of the public, particularly young people. Are you worried after hearing that? Well, I'm always concerned when you have Democrats uh, threatening to do something with the Supreme Court, to alter it, to add justices to it. Um, but I, I think the Supreme Court, this is what they should be doing. Roe versus Wade did not solve the abortion issue. It's just created this divisive issue that's been with us and lingered now for decades. I've always felt the better solution is state by state, using a Democrat process, determining at what point in time should we protect life. I understand there's a, a wide variety of, of differences, and, and people can you know, have differences of opinion in terms of when you believe life begins, when you believe life should be protected. But at some point in time, I think it's reasonable for the democratic process to come together on a state-by-state basis and determine, at least for our state, for our citizens, we're going to start protecting life at this point. Mississippi said 15 weeks. That's, that's almost four months to start protecting life. And you, you take a look at what a little baby looks at the age of 15 months. And again, I, I think people would be pretty hard pressed if they really considered this, if they really understood what we're doing, those little babies, they just might be a little bit more supportive of those types of protections. So is it, so if you look at if you poll the American public, if I'm to believe the polls, and we're all questionable about that, questioning that, uh, the, most, the majority of the public uh, wants Roe v. Wade to stay in place. But also, when it comes to the viability of a fetus at 15 weeks, uh, it is very close on whether people think you should have an abortion at that time. Technology has brought us here. Don't you think it is don't you think it is rational to at least bring this case forward, not radical as being portrayed? Well, again, I think when they say, you know, maintain Roe v. Wade, I mean, every element of it, I think people I think probably that reflects that they believe that early, early in the life cycle, women should have the right to choose. OK, that's some what some people believe. And again, I, I respect the differences there. But at some point in time, we do need to protect life. And I think that that should really be the debate as opposed to any any kind of absolute ruling. And right now, it's been a pretty absolute ruling uh, by the Supreme Court. I think they should revisit it. I'm, I'm supportive of them taking a look at this. John Yu, the former deputy assistant attorney general, was on last night on Fox News at night and said this about how this could turn out. But again, we're going to hear arguments, the audio live. Cut 32. It's not really going to be about whether this... Mississippi law, which bans abortion after 15 weeks, is consistent with the Roe framework. I don't think it's possible to harmonize the two. You've got to pick one or the other. The only reason Roe would survive to Kavanaugh or other justices like the chief justice is because they want to respect and maintain former precedent, even when they think it's wrong. Your thoughts? You're a fellow conservative, and those are conservative justices he's talking about. Well, I think, you know, there are certainly uh, some pretty bad Supreme Court decisions that we're glad were overturned and the Supreme Court didn't, uh, you know, support precedent. Again, I don't think if the Supreme Court rules in favor of Mississippi that abortion goes away. But that's not what's going to happen. I know that's the fear tactic used by the left. What would happen is each state would start deciding for them, themselves at what point are we going to protect life? I mean, some may not protect it at all and allow the hor- horrific partial birth abortions. But I think many states would be very reasonable and say, well, what, at what point is a 
is a baby viable outside the womb? You know, maybe that's, you know, a lot of times the bills we're talking about is in 20, 20 week time frame where, where babies who are, you know, born early can survive. Um, yeah, that's the debate we should have democratically through votes as opposed to having nine unelected justices decide this for all society. And they didn't really solve the problem, did they? This has been a divisive issue since uh, Roe v. Wade was decided. Again, I think it's time to reexamine it. So, Senator Ron Johnson, I talked to Tony Bobulinski, uh, and he mentioned he had great interview, great conversations with you, turned over a lot of information, but then you guys lost the majority, and your investigation stopped. What John Durham is doing has been fascinating, because he even forced the Washington Post, who did it on their own, to change their headline and change a story from back in 2017, because they can no longer verify the source of the Steele report. They can't verify uh, uh, the the Davinsky, they couldn't verify the Be- uh, the Belarusian source that gave this information, this uh, sensationalistic information that was untrue about then businessman Donald Trump, uh, and then they had the this guy Davinsky was the guy who was indicted, the Russian who was indicted from the Brookings Institute for lying to the FBI, and now you have a situation where this information on the uh, on Trump that really fed the whole Trump is in bed with Russia narrative was from Chuck. Dolan Jr., longtime Clinton operative with deep connections to Russia. And the, to the point where Washington Post says that story we wrote was wrong and we're changing it online and in the archives and they were transparent about it. You were all over this investigation and the Russia investigation as well as what Hunter Biden was up to. What are your thoughts about where this is going? Well, first of all, the Washington Post was, Post was very quiet about their correction weren't they? And so is the rest of the news media. This should be headline news. Now that we actually found out what happened in terms of Russian collusion, it wasn't with the Trump campaign. It was with the Hillary Clinton campaign. I mean, if you read John Durham's indictments, it just lays out, particularly the Michael Sussman one, exactly how involved the Hillary Clinton campaign and her operatives were in, involved in creating this Russian hoax, this the most destructive political trick in U.S. political history. And Who's going to be held to account on it? You know, right now, the, you know, the, the only sense has been with the Kevin Kleinsmith, and there's a slap on the hand for, for altering a document to the FISA court to trample on Americans' rights. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a slap on the hand. And unfortunately, political dirty tricks, to this extent, these damaging, maybe not a crime. And so what I'm suggesting, and I've called for this in op-eds, is John Durham has to reveal everything he's learned, whether he indicts people or not. And Merrick Garland has to release us. We need to know who is the ringleader here, who is the mastermind of this destructive political dirty trick that put our plunged our, our body politic into such turmoil for Four years and it hasn't ended yet. Cost us billions. I, I would argue us, that turmoil yeah. culminated in January sixth. And you're not going to believe it. I know that uh, Vladimir Putin's Russia was doing stuff on Facebook and social media to try to manipulate the elections. But if that if it is that, and all these things keep falling apart, do you realize that Vladimir Putin might have been telling the truth to President Trump when he said, "I really had nothing to do with everything they said. I had everything to do with behind the scenes." Do you realize Vladimir Putin might have been telling the truth to Trump? No, that's entirely possible. But I've been saying for years that the complicity of the Democrat Party, but the complicity of the media and the social media, they they had far far greater interference, far greater influence in terms of our election than anything Russia or China could ever hope to achieve. 
So they are complicit in this. I mean, they're, they're the ones that hand, hand selected Joe Biden, uh, the Democrat Party primary, and then they made him president. They, they, they made a candidate who's probably too old for the job, you know, enfeebled, campaigning from his basement. They made that man president. Now they're going to cover up for him. They cover up for him at the border. They walk away from Afghanistan. They're, they're, they're actually buying his explanations on inflation. Uh, no, the, the media is complicit in what the Democrat Party and the radical left is doing to this country. And America has to wake up, as Mark Levin says, to the urgency of this moment. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much. Hope you decide to run for your election again. You make that decision? Uh, we'll be making it soon, but I appreciate the encouragement. <laughs> Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I tried to be there for my brother. I'm not an advisor. I'm a brother. I wasn't in control of anything. My position has never changed. I never misled anyone about the information I was delivering or not delivering on this program. I never attacked nor encouraged anyone to attack any woman who came forward. I never made calls to the press about my brother's situation. Well, the problem is that was August 16th. It wasn't yesterday. And when the things came out and all the transcripts came out from uh, the testimony in front of Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, who wants to be the next governor of New York, it said a different story. She was seeking opposition research. He was calling other reporters about his brother. He was, in many cases, leading the charge uh, more than an advisor, it seems. I am not for anybody losing their career. I think there's just been too much of it. I'm not going to sit here in judgment of anyone. But what, is, what I think is so true is this was easily solvable. All you have to do is say, I'm going to leave for three months and handle my brother's situation because I know him and I'm a lawyer and I think I'm better than his entire staff. And I think I understand the business better. And if he did that, his job would have been back. Uh, I'm sure everyone would have waited for him. But uh, I think it's the deceptive nature. But I, I guarantee you he'll still be on Sirius. I don't think Sirius is going to let him go. Right? I mean, so he'll still have a show at noon. And it's right now it's just a suspended. Remember, Jeffrey Tubin beat his suspension, so to speak. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. How do we finally put an end to this pandemic? How do we save lives and get business back to normal so everybody can put dinner on the table? Simple. The federal government needs to require vaccines, including booster shots, for everyone in America by, say, January 1st. There are still some things that need to be done at a national level, and this is one of them. 
But as we brace for another wave of new deaths from a virus that has killed more Americans than World War II or even the Civil War, it's time to admit that our government has lost the ability or the will to make our people do the right thing. The government must require vaccinations, not of this group or that group, not company by company, not cruise ship by cruise ship or airline by airline or governor by governor. The buck stops at the White House. Jim Cramer says we should have a nationwide mandate and just maybe just make people stay home, he goes on to say, and not do anything until this whole pandemic's over. Rich Lowry, that sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, there's one crucial part of the argument missing. What is the constitutional authority for the federal government to impose such a mandate? There is none, which is why Biden had to go this ridiculous route of pretending OSHA can do it, which it can't, obviously doesn't have the authority, is blocked in the courts and ultimately is struck down um, uh, by the courts. So this is, this is just a fantasy. I know that that rant got a lot of attention, but the government can only do things it, it, it lawfully is capable of doing, and this is not one of them. Well, they are. With, by, by the way, have you ever seen any overreaction like this? This isn't even a Delta variant. I know that, you know what was scary? Seeing those uh, shots from India with the Delta variant, they didn't have enough refrigerated trucks, bodies piling up in the streets, no uh, the you know uh, hospitals mm-hmm. bursting at the steams. I get it, but this is a happening in Africa. There overall, there are two deaths may or may not have been related to this, and the variant is easily to spread, but not more lethal. So now yeah. we're going to start some different restrictions and and have travel bans from eight separate countries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just don't know how serious it will be. You know, you you look at the history of these variants that have popped up. A lot of them have just popped up been a cause of concern in the press for a day or two and totally disappeared. Now, Delta, as you point out, was, was different. It ended up being a, a big deal. But that's a big question with this new variant. Is it really going to be able to outcompete Delta? No other variant has, has been able to. So, look, my take on this, Brian, is unless you have some underlying health condition or a compelling reason not to, you know, get, get vaccinated, get boosted, exercise whatever personal precaution you deem appropriate, and then let's get on with our national life. I mean, that, I don't, that just seems the obvious answer to me. Well, it does, but, we, but we're not getting that. Um, and we're getting maybe some restrictions coming down that if you're traveling internationally, which a lot of people, it's a business to get on an airline, to rent a car, to get a hotel. There's a lot of people who want to start making money yeah. off the French and the British and the, Ugo, and, and the uh, Czech Republic and the, Gre- and, and the Greeks. They want to start coming here again. But now we're going to say get tested before, get tested after, and maybe, maybe you have to isolate for seven more days. Who's got that kind of time? Who would do that? Yeah, no, I mean, it just makes travel functionally impossible. Uh, so, I mean, if this, this thing is really the, the, the variant of all variants, all that's justified, but we have no indication of that, one. And two, the, these travel bans, you know, I supported the, the China travel ban when Trump did it, uh, the Europe, Europe travel ban a- after that, but they only buy you some time. I mean, it's not as though this thing is just in South Africa. There are already indications. What, was it was it in Holland or the Netherlands that, that had a couple of cases before even South Africa had identified it? So it's probably already here. And I don't see this as a panic. I see the numbers in cases going down across the country, but already the governor here, who is without the arrogance, but is uh, more to the left than the previous governor, has already said that it's a state of emergency, no more elective surgeries. I mean, this to me is where the rubber hits the road, and I think these the Democrats are going to pay a political price for this, or have they already? Yeah, I think that is clearly played into the, the wave we saw in, uh, in November, and 
Yeah, to, to declare a state of emergency and to suspend elective surgeries. Now, maybe they're elective, so you say, okay, you know, people don't necessarily need them. But those sort of suspensions had a real effect during during the lockdowns, and there's just there's just no reason for it. You know, if New York again is at the edge, the way it was at the beginning of the pandemic, of, of overtopping its hospitals, yeah, okay, then you take radical measures like that, but don't do it based on a, on a couple headlines. Here is uh, the other thing we've been talking about is the economy. Inflation is going high. Jerome Powell made it clear it's going to stick around for a while. He wants to shelve the term that he gave us. And now uh, we understand that well, we can't get people off the couch. Four million people quit last month. There are some good signs in the economy, no doubt about it. But it's not. But inflation is not outstripping wage gains. So with inflation high and the country upset, here's what Jen Psaki said aboard Air Force One yesterday, cut 15. Uh, the president is using every weapon in his arsenal to fight inflation. What are the Republicans putting forward? They're screaming from a bullhorn. They're tweeting about it. They have absolutely no plan. So is it up to Republicans? <laughs> well, at least they're finally you know, acknowledging it's a problem and, and, and saying that they have a plan to deal with it. I think Republicans do have a general approach, which is to, to deregulate and to stoke Supply. You know, look, look at the the oil and gas market, a huge driver of inflation that's hitting everyone's pocketbooks every single day, every time they go to the pump. Why would we make go out of a way to make that more expensive? Why wouldn't we just massively increase as much as we can domestic supply? Biden has the exact opposite approach. Why would we spend this massive amount of money on Build Back Better that has provisions that will probably drastically increase the cost of childcare? Why? Just don't do it. That that's a plan and. Let's, let's deregulate the ports and make sure that they're, they're up to world standards and efficient and productive as ports around the world. That, that's part of a plan. So that, that's, that just strikes me as ridiculous. Uh, looking at uh, 2022, Dr. Oz is now in the fray. Herschel Walker is now in the fray. You know they can't lose any of these crucial races. You can't lose a seat and you've got to gain a seat. So if looking at these races, breaking it down in New Hampshire, the seat's open. They had a good candidate, but the governor wants to stay governor. Sununu, Chris Sununu. Now in the Georgia, uh, I think that Doug, uh, uh, Doug Collins would have been the best candidate last time. He doesn't want to do it now, so Herschel Walker's there. And now you have Dr. Oz trying to keep Pat Toomey's seat. First off, what do you, what do you think about Dr. Oz entering the fray? I know he's intelligent, telegenic. I know, he's, I, I know he understands what he's getting into. But do you believe that he's the best candidate for Republicans? Uh, totally remains to be seen. You know, the, these celebrities who get in, you know, they have the advantage of, of high not name ID, advantages of being having been in the public square and knowing how to kind of conduct, conduct themselves in public. But there's a lot more to being a successful candidate, in, including what your views on the issues are, how you can talk about them, how you can defend them, whether they just have the sheer endurance to be out there, you know, 18 hours a day, uh, mixing in, in the public and sometimes getting insulted, getting stuff thrown at you that you don't necessarily haven't thought about a lot about. So it's not easy. So the proof is in the pudding. Uh, you know, Herschel Walker, I would say the same thing. He, he you know, he, he's just a superstar, right? I mean, just a superstar in, in Georgia. Uh, he's cleared the primary field, but candidate quality will matter. And people around him tell me, you know, he's very serious at, at doing this and at uh, studying up and, and being ready to go when, when, when the rubber really hits the road in that race. But Celebrity candidates are always they're always a mixed bag. You know, you get some that that you know you discount. At least I discounted like Donald Trump, who turned out to have an incredible political skill. You have others who are total fizzles. 
Yeah, I, I predict I'm more optimistic about Dr. Oz, even though I love Herschel uh, as a person, and but I'm more optimistic about Dr. Oz. Here's his announcement yesterday, cut six. So let me talk about COVID for a second, because as a physician, uh, I really spent a lot of time trying to understand what went wrong. And the mistakes are emblematic of other issues that we're struggling with in our great country. Remember the phrase, two weeks to flatten the curve, right? That metastasized into this incredible authoritarianism, overreaching, that did not necessarily make us safer. People with, with yards, big yards, told people with no yards to stay indoors. That's where the virus was. Remember, they closed the parks. They shamed people about beaches. Right? And now they're threatening the same overreach with the Omicron as you were just talking about. I think those choices should be yours, the American people's. It also helps to be a doctor in this and to be very yeah, familiar yeah, with the I give mean, and take, right? That was a pretty powerful statement. I mean, that, that was compellingly said. So, uh, Off yeah, the cuff, not read. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, think that, I think Dr. Oz is very strong. Very, it surprised me. Sean Parnell obviously had the divorce issues, but it, uh, another guy, strong patriot, thought he had a legitimate shot, but he's now out, leaving that field open. Another guy, I think McCormick, uh, a rich guy, self-made uh, multimillionaire, is, might be looking to get in there too. So he's got connections to the Trump team, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, Rich, can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, Rich uh, Rich Lowry, National Review, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we're going to continue to cover the dissertations and the audio as we get it from the Supreme Court as everything gets gets underway there. Remember, audio, no video, and we'll be taking your calls. Uh, And if you're at work, you can't write me, you're at school, just can only listen, briankillme.com. Uh, just click on co- just click on comments and it'll go right to my email. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are were expected and are expected to be temporary. Yeah, how'd that go? Not temporary, and it was wrong. Again, wrong. You could say my economic experts, but they are wrong. They were wrong then. Jerome Powell was the Fed then. I'm not capable of running the Fed. I'm not going to give you macroeconomic advice, but I do know when things are wrong and we're being told the wrong thing, and that $1.9 trillion right after we gave $800 billion in December, the $1.9 trillion was pure agenda. It wasn't in our best interest. We have yet to recover from it yet, and that's why I thought it was important to bring that up. So here's what Jerome Powell said after that. Uh, this is what he said. That was back in July. The president said that. Don't worry about it. This uh, this inflation is temporary. We know it's only gone up. So here's what Jerome Powell said yesterday that caused the markets to crater. The questioner was Pat Toomey, cut 12. How long does inflation have to run above your target before the Fed decides maybe it's not so transitory? I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. I think it's it's probably a good time to retire that that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. Okay, let's retire the word. But by the way, I understand the word. It just means it's not leaving quickly. What Janet Yellen said, it's going to be with us to the spring. Jerome Powell didn't even say that. I just wonder what he had to do to keep that job. Cut 11. The recent rise in COVID-19 cases and the emergence of the Omicron variant pose downside risks to the employment and economic activity and increased uncertainty for inflation. We're going to see um, this this disease being around probably for a long time. I think the economic effects over time will diminish. 
We need a leader that's going to say, this is how you live with it, as opposed to this is how you run from it. And by the way, I think his, his stats are wrong. The number, the COVID patients are not going up in this country. They were just worried about this variant coming here and what it might do to it. So new cases down 2% over the last 14 days. In the last, uh, I believe, the last one week, it's down about 8%. Deaths are down 16%. So deaths are under 1,000. They're 893 in a country of 350 million people. And who knows how, how many had underlying conditions. The problem right now is New Mexico and Michigan. The least problems are Tennessee, Alabama, and this place called Florida. They have the lowest number of cases. And when this variant comes to town, we'll see what happens. But looking at what it's doing in other places, it's not a big deal. It's in about nine different countries. It's not seen in the U.S. Even if it comes here, you have minor symptoms. I think one of the bigger story is, what was all these breakthrough cases? Is there anything, we're seeing some similarities here where some people, like me, when I got the, could get the vaccine, I took it. I have shaken thousands of hands. I've been at 14, maybe 16 events over the last three weeks since 16 events. And then I wouldn't do these live events where there's a thousand people. And I think I'm shaking everybody's hand, arm on their shoulder, taking a picture. I'm not even acknowledging this. I got vaccinated. Why do I, why I didn't get it. I never got it when it, before the vaccine. I never got it with the vaccine. And I know people that have had breakthroughs twice with the vaccine. Why aren't we ever studying what's causing the breakthrough? Love to see that because it's affecting everything we do. And I'm just thinking about, well, now we're going to have these states start locking down again, start making mandatory tests again. I'm just so happy with these courts. And Donald Trump will put these judges in place not to go by his agenda, but go going by the law and noticing when it comes to forcing when it comes to forcing contractors who deal with the federal government, you cannot mandate they get the vaccine. When it comes to medical workers that work for Medicaid and Medicare, you cannot mandate they get the vaccine. When it comes to uh, uh, OSHA pressing down as a governing body over private companies with 100 employers or more, you can't mandate that they get the vaccine. Courts have stayed all three of these decisions. My fingers are crossed they're going to continue to win this, and the president's going to realize what he said originally matters, and that is I can't force the American people to do that. We don't do that in this country. The other big story that came yesterday, I think it's all related, it's what happened with uh, Governor Cuomo. Now, Governor Cuomo was, is no longer governor because there's been a, about 11 accusers who have come forward and said he's been uh, sexually uh, harassing them. All different places, all different reasons. They don't know each other for the most part. It's all different incidents. And you factor that with using governor employees to write his memoir that got him $5 million and them nothing. And the nursing home deaths, a series of controversies, has him from the hero of the Democrats to the disgrace of the Democrats. But along the way, he took down his brother, who is a lawyer, and went out of his way to help him. So he lied on camera. That's his issue. Said he was just a minor advisor because it's his brother. He said that I didn't report on my brother because it's my brother. The problem is that he was talking to his brother during the whole pandemic. He stopped when he got embroiled in controversy. That is it. And then didn't tell the truth about the role he's playing, which got everyone at CNN upset. But I think this is the key moment. And it is when a, one of the accusers came forward, when it became clear that Cuomo went out of his way to get background and maybe bad information on accusers, Charlotte Bennett. And said that she's the one who accused him of grabbing him, uh, accused the former governor of grabbing her during a we- at a wedding. So it turns out he was doing some background research and says, I got some things about Charlotte Bennett that could help us, to paraphrase. 
So here's what the accuser, Charlotte Bennett, when she found out about that Chris Cuomo was going behind the scenes, said this. CNN must immediately take action. The network need not investigate his behavior. The investigation is over, and yesterday we received answers. Just like his older brother, Chris Cuomo used his time, network, and research to smear victims, dig up opposition research, and belittle our credible allegations. His behavior is reprehensible, unprofessional, and inexcusable. CNN must act now. Anything short of firing Chris Cuomo reflects a network lacking both morals and a backbone. Does CNN stand by journalistic integrity, or will it simply excuse the actions because Chris Cuomo drives ratings. He doesn't. He gets a point nine, sometimes a one. They've been terrible, but the whole station's been terrible. Anderson Cooper now gets his hour. Anderson Cooper on the set as he takes over primetime with Jeffrey Tubin. And we know about Jeffrey Tubin. And he got it back. I wouldn't rule out Cuomo coming back. I don't want to see anyone's career de- uh, destroyed, but I just think that there was a way out of it. You could help out your brother. Never appear with him to begin with. The, com- the company okayed that. Not your fault. You, do- you did it. People loved it. He got ratings with it. But when he went south, uh, he destroyed you too. By the way, uh, the President Freedom Fighter is now out. Uh, it remains on the New York Times list. Thanks so much for the third straight week. We'll find out a little bit later about the fourth straight week. I'm going to be out in Ponte Vedra on Friday. WOKV listeners, hope to see you there. I'm going to miss you. Maybe you want to go to Clearwater. I'll be there Saturday, Sunday in McLean, Virginia. Uh, then I'm going to be in Tulsa, Dayton, Cincinnati, as well as Oklahoma, St- Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Uh, that's just off the top of my head. I have many more visits. Go to BrianKillMe.com and find out. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have Senator James Langford queuing up over in Oklahoma, actually in Washington now. And uh, we have uh, Jason Chaffetz, used to work in Washington, now out in Utah. Fox News contributor, former chairman of the House Oversight Committee at the bottom of the hour. So we have a lot to discuss now, including listening to the fascinating live arguments of this Mississippi case that could put uh, on the docket Roe v. Wade and put down, and they're trying to make a case that 15 weeks with Roe v. Wade, 15 weeks uh, uh, in a gestation period, uh, is a life. And you, if you try to abort a baby after 15 weeks, it should be no longer permissible by law. And that's the arguments at stake with six conservative justices on the Supreme Court. A lot of people think Roe v. Wade could be in the balance. I'll get some clarity with Senator James Langford in a moment. Uh, and we have a lot more to discuss, too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. CNN brought this on themselves. CNN allowed Chris Cuomo, as a working journalist, to cover his brother, despite the manifest conflict of interest. Some of Chris Cuomo's statements about the extent of his involvement were misleading at best and lies at worst. So, I mean, they never should have been in this position in the first place. Uh, that is Bill McGurn of the Wall Street Journal. The Cuomo suspended not for helping his brother, but for lying about it. Did CNN do the right thing? We'll discuss. Number two. How long does inflation have to run above your target before the Fed decides maybe it's not so transitory? I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. I think it's, it's probably a good time to retire that, that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. Uh, there you go. That is Jerome Powell. Market walloped, inflation digs in, gas prices rise, Biden spends. No wonder his political fortunes in his party are in critical condition. Number one. If you have yeah. a negative test, 
if you're vaccinated, what conceivable justification is there for even considering such a grave deprivation of liberty as forcing you for seven days to lose the core freedom of movement over a virus that we're told there's an effective vaccine for? That is so true. Glenn Greenwald, the man in Brazil who wants to come back and doesn't want to have to quarantine for seven days, nor should anybody else. Omicron. Looks like the most overhyped, irresponsible reaction to a transparent, responsible South African medical report ever. Restrictions rolling in, left-wing states taking more control. What gives me hope? The courts are standing up against this takeover, and the red states are standing strong. With me right now, Senator James Langford. Senator Langford, I I do want to talk to you uh, about uh, what's going on with the Supreme Court, but first on this. This Omicron, I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners what you're worried about, if anything, about this. Well, we we don't know a lot about it at this point, and that's that's the biggest challenge right now. There, uh, everyone seems to be panicking, going, "Oh my gosh, there's a new Greek letter uh, that's been attached to the word COVID. Uh, this is the worst case scenario for everything. Uh, all that we know is that it's transmittable and that it's moving. We don't know if it's more lethal. We don't know if it's any, anything different uh, at this point. And so, uh, again, uh, this is the most basic of things. People can watch out for this. They pay attention to it. They take care of their hand washing and and all those things that we've talked about for a long time on it. Uh, I encourage people to get the vaccine, but also tell people it's their choice to be able to do that. No one in the world should be able to mandate them to be able to do it. And uh, and as we're seeing with the courts, finally the courts are stepping up and actually taking this on, where they're they're knocking these mandates down from the Biden administration that he has handed out. Well, I mean, they are. And first, when it comes to contractors, then when it comes to nurses, Medicaid and Medicare, uh, and then also when it comes to uh, private companies, this OSHA cannot oversee it. As of right now, these courts have ruled against the Biden administration. Why doesn't he just go with his original statement? Americans are not going to be are not going to tolerate these mandates. Yeah, they're, they're definitely not going to follow through on mandates. Americans don't like being told what to do. We're pretty stubborn people, and quite frankly, it's what's made us the most successful people in the entire world And uh, because we work exceptionally hard and we take personal responsibility for our actions, and that's, that's the right way to be able to take this. Uh, so uh, for us uh, as a country to be able to live under a mandate, we think the Chinese live under mandates. Uh, the North Koreans live under mandates. We're Americans. We don't live under mandates. That's not how it works for us. But in Oklahoma, your National Guard has stood up and said, we will not. Uh, take this vaccine. We don't, you know, we don't want to be, we don't want to be under the auspices of the federal government and the military. Everyone's got to get vaccinated. So they said they're not going to pay your National Guardsmen. Where do you stand? Yeah, that is absolutely the wrong thing to be able to do. And in fact, we have a piece of legislation to be able to push back on that exact issue, to be able to cut off the National Guard and say, we're not going to pay you uh, if you take uh, don't take this vaccine. Here's how the National Guard works. Uh, the, the National Guard is under a governor's authority. Uh, so they have a commander-in-chief that's the governor of their state. That's their, the, the state militia. And then that National Guard itself uh, is under the governor's control unless they're activated and they're actually sent over to Afghanistan or wherever it may be on, on federal offices. Then they go under leadership of the president of the United States. But while they're in the state, they're under governor's control. Our governor, Governor Stitt, has done a great job articulating this and to be able to make the argument on it to say, I'm not going to mandate that the troops that are in Oklahoma command actually have to take this vaccine. If they get activated into federal control, then yes, they're under federal control and they're just like every active duty military. But currently they're under state control and they do not have to do that. That's the right thing to do and we need to continue to be able to protect it. And I've got legislation that we're dropping and working to be able to get consent to be able to put in and to actually make sure that we're protecting our National Guardsmen. Another reason why you got to get into the majority, because unless you get any Democratic support, it will die, correct? 
Uh, it will, but quite frankly, I'm challenging every single Democrat to say, are you trying to be able to cut off the pay from every one of National Guard members in your state as well? Because nationally, the National Guard is still less than 50% vaccinated. Uh, this has been one of those untold stories where they keep saying uh, that there's, the, you know, there's 80% of federal employees in different areas uh, that have been vaccinated. Go great. Well, the National Guard is not, and this becomes a military readiness in an issue that if suddenly we have to activate the National Guard nationally, and uh, that Biden is saying I'm going to fire you or not pay you or kick you out of the National Guard unless you're doing this uh, vaccination when you're under state control, uh, that is absolutely absurd. Does your staff have to get vaccinated? My staff does not have to get vaccinated, and one of the reasons for that is because we're in the legislative branch. Uh, the president can't control the legislative branch just like he does in the judicial branch. So judges in courtrooms are not having to follow this mandate, and uh, the legislative branch doesn't follow this mandate. Uh, and quite frankly, the courts have been great to be able to step up and say private companies don't fall under this mandate, as the president tried to do. And then now also CMS folks and the folks that work for in healthcare areas don't have to follow this mandate because the president doesn't have the authority to do that either. And so the president made all these great speeches and declarations, and he's finding out quickly uh, that he can't actually enforce that because we're the United States of America. So the Dobbs case is being heard against the Jackson Women's Health Organization right now in the Supreme Court. In fact, we're listening to live arguments, not on video, but obviously just audio. Even Justice Thomas was asking questions, which these, you know, the experts say he almost never does. Almost well, never. Yeah, so so I was pretty fascinated where he was really pressing to say, besides, you know, uh, he was really pressing the... Um, the, the viability issue. Yeah, the viability yeah. issue on Mississippi with with the attorney general there. I want you to hear what Janine Shaheen said is at stake with this case, and then I want to get your take. Cut 30. I think if you want to see a revolution, go ahead, outlaw Roe v. Wade, and see what the response is of the public, particularly young people. So so do you agree that uh, the Supreme Court justices should know ahead of time they will cause a revolution if they yeah, don't I, go the right I, way with this? Yeah, you, you, you talk about extreme uh, statements. Chuck Schumer standing on, this, on the steps of the Supreme Court and threatening by name Supreme Court justice last year. Jean Shaheen uh, saying they're going to be a revolution, basically threatening the Supreme Court justice, saying we're going to have mass chaos in the streets if you do this. If they overturn Roe v. Wade, that does not uh, outlaw abortion in America. It takes us back to pre-1973 when each state would decide what they're going to do with abortion, just like we do with homicide laws. Each state decides what they're going to do with that. Uh, so this crazy chaos to say that suddenly abortion ends in America if they overturn Roe v. Wade is factually not true. And the left, just to tell you how crazy they are, they're basically saying if you don't allow us to kill as many children as we want, we're going to have a revolution in the streets. Tells you just how over the over the top the left really has become. That their main priority that they're going to have a revolution on is their right to be able to take the lives of children. I think that gives you a good glimpse into who they are. So before I get your take on, on Dobbs and the chance to have a success, here's what John Yu looked at the Supreme Court justices and here's what he think is, thinks is going to have him cut 31. There are three justices, I think, Thomas, Gorsuch, and Alito, who have clearly signaled that they think Roe was wrongly decided and should be overturned. It's the two Trump justice, justices, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, whose votes are in play, I think, who will make the decision. I think Chief Justice Roberts is really not going to decide this case. His vote really doesn't matter anymore now that Amy Coney Barrett replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think Amy Coney Barrett, when it comes down to it, is going to vote to overturn Roe. I think yeah. she said as much in her work as a law professor. 
So it really comes down to Brett Kavanaugh about we know we know almost nothing about his views on abortion. Your thoughts about what John you said, the former deputy assistant attorney general? Yeah, I would agree with that completely. Uh, again, we, we don't ask justices during the process, and I, uh, and I was one of those that was interviewing all of those justices that we put in for Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and, and Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, we, we don't ask them how they're going to rule on a case dealing with Roe v. Wade. We want to know what is their perspective on the law and the Constitution. I'm confident uh, that Brett Kavanaugh is very focused on following the Constitution, and when you look at how the Roe v. Wade uh, decision was made and how the court invented this viability standard, literally it's not in any law. It's certainly not in the Constitution, that? Uh, they just created it, uh, that okay. I think that Kavanaugh is going to look at that and say the court just can't create a standard. With the improvement in medical technology, we now see what infants look like at an extremely early stage compared to the 70s when this passed. So describe what's changed. <laughs> a lot has changed on, on technology. Uh, my mom used to have the old joke, you can't be a little bit pregnant. And uh, for the left for years have said, yeah, you can be a little bit pregnant, uh, that in the early stages uh, of a pregnancy, then that's not really a baby, but maybe later stages, uh, that's really a baby. Uh, that's absolutely absurd, and science actually shows that. We know a lot more about the zygote. We know a lot more about DNA development. We know that that cell, uh, that zygote, when it's that fertilized cell uh, in the mom's womb, uh, that's the only cell in her body that is different than every other cell in her body. It has different DNA, and as it develops, uh, even by the 15-week time period that uh, Mississippi identified, that child already has all, all their functioning organs. They're just growing and developing more, already has fingers and toes, already sucking their thumb, already shows their left hand or right hand dominant by 15 weeks of development. Uh, so there's a lot that we know now in science uh, that that's not just a little peanut and a little blob that we can see through an ultrasound anymore. We have great detail and information to see that is a child, uh, and it is impossible. It's just completely self-evident to be able to look at a right. picture of a 15-week-old child in the womb and to say that's a child. Uh, you you can't ignore the basic facts. Is that an exhibit? I mean, excuse my naivete on this. I've never seen a Supreme Court argued out, but is that an exhibit in this case? Did you put up a 15-week-old sonogram? Uh, probably not. Uh, they'll argue over the law itself, not over the science issues, but I'm sure they'll bring up science uh, that the uh, that we do understand more about what's going on now, that we can understand how the justices looked at those issues uh, 50 years ago, 48 years ago, uh, when they made this decision. Uh, but to be able to say it, this, this decision will not be about the science, it'll be about the law. Uh, that's what the Supreme Court should be focused in on. All right, Senator, how optimistic are you about winning back the Senate? You know, it comes down to individual races. Uh, it's going to be picking up a seat. And it, could it be in Georgia where Herschel Walker, has he impressed you to the point where you think that he is ready to win? Does he know the issues? Yeah, I, I don't know him, uh, and I've not been able to see him on the on the campaign stump. The people of Georgia will be able to make that decision, but I will tell you, we should be able to pick up multiple seats in the Senate. We should be able to win the House. Uh, Joe Biden is our best campaigner for Republicans right now with what he's doing to the economy, uh, what he's doing to our national image uh, internationally, uh, what we're seeing with these uh, vaccine mandates. Uh, people are furious about the direction of the country and uh, firmly blame this on Joe Biden, as they should uh, blame this on Joe Biden. So every Democrat that's running for the Senate and for the House is going to have to say, I stand with Joe Biden at this point. And that's a very difficult position to be able to run on. Right. And uh, in the in Mark Kelly, his his seat is up this time around. I'm not sure who's running there. Maybe the attorney general. But Dr. Oz made it clear he wants to replace Pat Toomey. Cut 34. Yeah. My parents immigrated here legally and our country provided unparalleled opportunities that have benefited me. And I feel firmly it is time to repay my debt. 
America's in crisis. That's not news. Our values are under attack. So I want to serve America in its time of need. And he went on, and he was able to do that uh, interview for a half hour with Sean Hannity last night. You know he handles issues. You know how bright he is. You know he, oh, how yeah. strong he is on his feet. So, and he does, he wants to, and he's moving to Pennsylvania just for this reason. Yeah, there, there are people that are very passionate about helping our country. I'm one of them uh, that wants to be able to see this turn very, very different. I'm grateful when we have good people uh, that jump into races and to be able to do the work that has to be done. Uh, so for me, we're going to go through the primaries. We're going to allow uh, Republicans in those states to be able to make a decision of who they're actually going to be able to put in that spot. Uh, but I look forward to next November and the wins that we'll have all over the country. Yeah, we'll see. If it looks like the off-year election, Democrats are in a world of hurt. Senator James Lankford, I will be in Tulsa. I will be in Oklahoma City with the President and Freedom Fighter, and I hope to catch up with you then. Look forward to catching up with you again in Tulsa. You're always welcome there. You know it. All right. Thanks so much, Senator. Uh, back in a moment, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A, nobody wants to get boosters uh, threefold. B, the vaccine mandates are collapsing. And, and they've now all three of them have been stayed by federal judges. The CMS, the OSHA and the federal contracting mandates are all on hold. So there's no mandates right now in the United States. And ki- and people don't want to get their kids vaccinated. And the powers that be are very well aware that vaccines are failing and they want to blame this thing. And and it's not going to work. People are done being scared. They are done. I think most part, I think that Alex Berenson it's talking about me and maybe you, but not everybody. These people are just looking to run for the hills, stay away from work. Some legitimate. If you have underlying conditions, you have MS or something you're living with, uh, I know you got to be extra careful. I understand that. If you're extremely overweight, you got to be extra and older. You, I understand you got to be careful, but you got to live your life. I mean, it's been almost, we're coming up on a, a two years now of just cowering in the corner. I mean, how much longer are we going to deal with this? And then we get this news of the variant, and of course, the president overreacts and has a a press conference on Monday, and now he, he's about to hand down tomorrow travel restrictions. We think that's going to make everybody that comes to our country quarantine for seven days. I have news for you. Most aren't going to come to the country. They're going to just stay home. They don't need it. Listen to Glenn Greenwald. The guy lives in Brazil. He's an American. Cut to. It is hard to express or put into words how divorced the discourse around COVID is in the United States from the science that we were all supposed to follow. If you have yes. a negative test... If you're vaccinated, what conceivable justification is there for even considering such a grave deprivation of liberty as forcing you for seven days to lose the core freedom of movement over a virus that we're told there's an effective vaccine for? I feel like we're being trained to simply accept the assertion of any authority in the name of safety without even questioning it any longer. But I think we have to question it at all times. And if, 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 you have, if Joe Biden wants to have some success in 2022, if he wants to have a success again, and he says he wants to run again in 2024, I doubt it, but let's say he does, he would start saying, you know, I've been thinking about it. Uh, it's up to the parents on the kids. We're no longer going to mandate from the federal level uh, masking kids in schools. And I'm going to be urging this to the, uh, the unions to get behind me on this. Same thing. And I'm going to look to push for that even if it costs him. Look, we all know he's not running again. And even if he does run again, that'll mean he, we, have to send a, uh, we have to send the worst candidate possible against him for him to be successful. So why not just do the right thing for once and not pretend that the world's going to end up in a fiery ball of fires, fires and global warming and keeping everyone in mass to not get a virus they're going to survive anyway? 
Uh, that would help. I'm going to talk to Congressman Jason Chaffetz about that, along with the oral arguments taking place on the abortion case uh, right now in the Supreme Court. It's fascinating. We'll bring back some original audio when we return. Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I, uh, I encourage everyone to uh, wear a mask when they're indoors in a crowded circumstance like we are right now. Um, and unless you're eating or speaking at a microphone. The vaccines will continue to provide a degree of protection against severe disease. And as additional protections, please wear your mask when you're indoors in public settings around other people. No, I'm not going to. I'm going to go to games, and I'm not going to do that. And neither did he. You see this picture on the cover of the Post, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, where he was indoors, outside on the glass, wear a mask, and you see him through the glass indoors at some store in Narragansett with his billion, you know, after a while you get tired of hanging out in this billionaire mansion. You got to get a little claustrophobic, so you need to go out into stores, and you see him without a mask. It's on his chin. So, again, all these people, same with Anthony Fauci. Evidently, he was at a party. He would take the mask on every time uh, someone would have a camera near him. Congressman Jason Chaffetz, not wearing a mask, Fox News contributor, former chairman of the House Oversight Committee, author of They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. Jason, welcome over to the show. I was on with your podcast yesterday. You might be a little bit tired of talking to me. I mean, I'm sorry to make you do this again. I, my honor, you know, is the best 45 minutes of your life. I know. So I appreciate it. It's coming out soon and we'll let everybody know it. Jason in the house. But yeah, I am not wearing a mask. Neither does Joe Biden. Neither neither does Governor Newsom. Neither does Governor. I mean, you just go down the list of all the people who demand that this happened. And yet pretty quickly you can find photos of them not doing it. And look, I want people to be safe. But I think there's a degree of choice, and if if you've had, if you if you're fully vaccinated, I I just don't see it. And you know what? I also don't see. I don't see this variant being a problem. The Delta variant was hitting India hard. It was hitting the UK hard, and we came over here a month or two later, around June and July, it started really having its presence felt, and kind of put us in free uh, free fall for a month or two, and then we seem to have bounced back. But now the case is going down again. And now there was panic over the weekend. It's like we've learned nothing over the last year and a half. You know, one of the things I just saw online was this commentary by Dr. Angelique Cotiz. I, I, Cotizi, I think yeah, I pronounced her from name. From South Africa. Yeah, she's the South African Medical Association. She's the chairman of it. Uh, she's been in the medical industry, you know, for a general practitioner for or involved for 33 years. I, I, She's just saying the one thing you got to do is not panic. It's not as if in South Africa they've got a surge of people going to the hospital. So take a deep breath um, and just recognize. Go back to the basics. Wash your hands. You know, be smart. If you're feeling sick, you know, stay away from people. But I. Well, listen, I'll, I'll give you the article because Dr. Siegel just tweeted this to me. So this is the woman that alerted the world that this Omnivid, uh, these Omicron, Omicron variant is out there. So she said, 
Uh, she said, I've been in the med- medical profession for 33 years. I've seen a lot over my medical career, but nothing has prepared me for the extraordinary global reaction that met my announcement this week that I had a young man in my surgery who had a case of COVID that turned out to be the Omicron variant. The version of the virus had been circulating in Southern Africa for some time, having been previously identified. But given in my public facing role, my announcing its presence in my own patient, I unwittingly brought in a global attention. Quite simply, I've been stunned at the response. And let me be clear, nothing I have seen about this new variant warrants the extreme reaction the UK government has taken in response to it all. No one here in South Africa is known to have been even hospitalized with it. But the UK, Europe, everywhere, just Australia rethinking, opening up. So, I mean, come on. These these governments are all letting their people down. Her conclusion, the very last sentence, I think, is is very telling. Above all, don't panic. And that goes for governments as well. And, and so, look, I, I think we have a communication and a leadership problem here in the United States. I think Joe Biden is a very poor communicator. And it's time for Dr. Fauci to go. I think America needs a second opinion. And I don't think he has the credibility to to put the science out there, allow the scientific committee to, uh, community to coalesce around it, and then come up with public policy that's responsible. We're doing it the exact opposite. The policy comes out, then they scramble to go find the science, and, and people just don't believe Fauci, and certainly I don't believe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I think they've they've been on the wrong side of this uh, most of the, uh, most of the way. She said, uh, by the way, she says, I, I saw five more patients who had this variant. They tested positive. They all had very mild illness. So at the moment, I'm afraid it seems to me that Britain is merely hyping up the alarm about this variant unnecessarily. And the picture might one day look different. I have yet to see older unvaccinated people infected with this new variant. For example, they might well present with more severe form of the disease. So listen. Uh, I'm tired of our lives affected by this. Everyone's lied to us along the way. No one's acknowledging when they've been wrong. And you know, and know you know this, but President Biden has um, has lorded over more deaths than Trump. And this guy had a vaccine to work with. Yeah, it, it was uh, Joe Biden who said he was going to, uh, you know, destroy the virus, not the economy. And it's it's kind of gone the opposite way. Um it, I I just am very frustrated at this because I think the information's out there. The vaccines are out there. People get to make their own personal choice. And they do it in consultation, if they want, with their doctor. But you shouldn't lose your job because of it. You shouldn't be denied your ability to go get in a restaurant in New York City and eat something. And what we're doing to our little kids, putting masks on four-year-olds, you know, I, I just don't get it. I just think it's so wrong. Jason, I got to ask you, I know you're very familiar with this process, but it looks like it's a virtual lock, barring anything unforeseen, that the House is going to go to the Republicans next. A lot of the same players in leadership are still there when you were there. Yeah. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, they say, has not not sold everyone on him being speaker. Do you believe he would be the best choice if the vote was today? Um, I think that the conference uh, as a whole would be a bit divided. I think there'd be a vigorous debate. Uh, perhaps he prevails. Uh, perhaps he doesn't. Um, but, you know, you've seen the Democrats wrangle with this. Um, I think the Dem- the Republicans are really going to get into a major feud. So it depends the margin. I mean, it's all about numbers, right? Do you have a majority of 50 and you got some, some wiggle room? Or do you have a majority like the Democrats do of four and then you have no wiggle room? So I don't know exactly how that's going to shake out. I do think that the, the Republicans 
look, they have a they have a knack, Brian, of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So don't don't put it past them that they're going to blow this election. But um, if they stick to policy, um, get united, understand that nobody gets 100% of what they want, uh, take a Reagan-esque approach saying, hey, if I'm getting 80% of what I want, we're, make, we're moving the ball forward. If they do that, and I don't think they will, then I think they're going to be just fine. But I think there's going to be a lot of infighting. You do. See, when you, you know, they ended up going to Paul Ryan, immediately everyone thought it was going to be Kevin McCarthy. And there were some things that came up that people didn't like, so they went with Paul Ryan as a compromise candidate. And no one was, it didn't seem like people were really satisfied with Paul Ryan on the Republican right, especially not the Freedom Caucus. Were you? Um, look, the way it went down, I think Paul Ryan was the best choice. He was the intellectual leader on the policy. Nobody could talk about entitlement reform and those types of things better than Paul Ryan. Um, I think he was actually a better speaker than he maybe gets credit for. Um, because he was very policy-centric. Kevin McCarthy, I think a fair assessment of Kevin, is he's the biggest, best fundraiser that the the Republicans have in the House. That's probably why he's in that leadership position. And it'll be this struggle, uh, philosophically, what do you want? Do you want the fundraiser-in-chief? Do you want somebody who's policy-driven? How far to the right are we going to go? Um, all of these questions, there's going to be a, there's going to be a battle, and I don't see the the latest newest classes of people that have come into the mix as being shy, bashful people. It's sort of Tea Party 2.0, and they're very aggressive. I do, I would say one thing. I know it's easy on the outside, but you're on the inside. But I think that the day, I think if Republicans can learn anything from giving up and gaining and giving up and gaining power back and forth, what you just said, I think was the most important when you said. Getting 80% of what you want should be enough rather than getting nothing. We've been getting nothing. Both sides have been not totally getting nothing. You've got your tax reform. They got their $1.9 trillion. But for the most part, do we have to change our mindset if you are a lawmaker and if you are a voter that we're going to get some things compromised, not everything but close, even though you're in the majority? That, that's my own personal belief. I think if you're going to have successful, long-term successful systemic change, you need to be able to bring at least some people from the minority side along uh, along the way. That was the magic of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had a good relationship with Tip O'Neill. He didn't get everything he wanted, but he, he had the, the largest uh, tax to, uh, decrease in the history of our nation. He did some things. He really also got. Well. He also raised our taxes on compromise too, right? To get defense. Yeah, and so he, but he did a very good job of communicating and bringing people together. There has to be this mindset, though, that says, "I am. I have not lost my purity because I compromised with somebody." And and that goes to the representative and how they're approaching it. We have a lot of people in the Republican side of the aisle, and the Democrats have theirs as well, that say, it's all or nothing. You, you give me 100% or I'm out. And I, I think that's a very difficult... I don't think that's what the American people want. You don't have to sacrifice your principles, but go out and get and move the ball forward and move it towards a conservative plank if that's what you're doing as a, as a Republican. And, and, and you'll be in power for a very long time. I would think it'd be interesting because, you know, there are certain sections of both parties that are just immovable yeah. uh, and they just see any compromise as loss and weakness. But just that that's not the way our system was set to work. 
and I don't know, if you're a speaker and say, hey, by the way, if you elect me speaker, I am going to be dealing with the other party, and I'm going to have to compromise a little because I want some bipartisan buy-in, you would not be speaker. Is that correct? It depends on how you do it and what you do it on. I mean, there is this approach that says, oh, well, then you're not tough enough. You're not going to fight. And, 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 you know, but who is having success actually moving legislation forward? I mean, if you were in the Senate, we can't just rely on, hey, what we can get done in reconciliation, 50 plus one. You got to be able to do things above and beyond and get, get other things done. Look, if Donald Trump talked a tough game, he was as hard, you know, barefisted, you know, ready to fight as there was. But when it came to criminal justice reform, he actually passed a really poor. Now, that happened to be my bill when I left. Doug Collins took it over. It really did move the ball forward. And he worked with Democrats behind the scenes to make that happen. Democrats hated it, but he did work with them, and they ultimately came along. Yeah, uh, I know that Van Jones of, of CNN came out and said, listen, I'm going to the ceremony. This is, this is yeah. real. Uh, yeah. th- hey, uh, Jason, thanks for interviewing me for the book and everything. So I appreciate it. Great job. And when can we expect it? By the end of the week? Uh, next, I think it's a, a week from Wednesday. A week from Wednesday. Sounds good. Uh, all uh, right. Jason Chaffetz, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, and, you know, it's a great quality. That's because he's got, a, like, a radio setup in his house. Uh, hey, uh, the President Freedom Fighter, uh, just so you know, if you're just tuning in, one of our affiliates this hour, uh, McLean, Virginia on Sunday, Saturday in Clearwater, Friday in Ponte Vedra, and then, of course, go to BrianKilme.com. And if you want a personalized copy and you're not going to be in any of these seats, I'm talking about Tulsa, Oklahoma City, uh, Tyler, Texas, Dallas, Texas, uh, Dayton, and Cincinnati, if you're not going to be in any of those cities, uh, it'll go to my local bookstore. I can personalize it and get it out. And since America printed it, we don't have to keep it on a barge in Los Angeles or Long Beach. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think the issue here for CNN that made them cross this line was it was journalistic malfeasance. It was terrible behavior for a journalist who's supposed to be purportedly, even at CNN, to be a a fair-minded reporter who doesn't get involved. And he crossed that line. But the thing is, he obviously crossed the line. He did it months ago. And when CNN in their statement today said there was more to the story that they learned today from the AG's emails, I think it's pretty clear CNN didn't go looking for the full story when this originally broke. Yeah, uh, that is. All right, Fleischer, he's a crisis expert as well as being former press secretary and great communicator. Uh, Republican conservative thought it's true. And he's talking about Chris Cuomo, the fact that he's out, that they really have a choice. Here's Chris Cuomo talking on his Sirius XM show, which starts at noon Eastern time. Now, he did not know what would happen in a few hours. And here's how he explained himself, because on radio, he could do what he wants, but he couldn't really, he can't do that on TV. That's pretty much CNN. So let's listen. Cut 16. Andrew had his party enforcing a rule against them, him, that if you have accusations, you have problems and you don't really get to vet the accusations and you don't get to go against your accusers. I did not want him to resign in the beginning because I believed him. And I thought that you don't resign, you ask for due process and leave the women alone and let due process take care of the situation. Um, But eventually, when there wasn't going to be due process and his party was against him, and obviously the Republicans weren't going to help him, then he had no choice because he couldn't do the work of the state anymore. Hmm. 
But that wasn't the whole situation. As it became transparent, he was working behind the scenes, trying to see if there was anything about the accusers that could be brought out to reduce their credibility. And when that became clear, he had no choice. I don't think CNN had a choice. They had to make the move. But it was pretty also clear that he was able to get talking points to other people in other networks uh, to maybe talk positively about Governor Cuomo. For example, Katie Turr. This was pointed out in the uh, in these articles that Katie Turr basically took the family statement and said it was breaking news. Listen to her on MSNBC, Cut 20. I've just been talking to somebody who is close to the family, and I asked them, you know, given the moment that we have been living in for the past two years, given um, how everyone has had a reckoning with this Me Too moment, why would somebody like like Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is a savvy politician, not have buttoned things up, not have gotten the message uh, to, to be careful about what he said around his staffers, around others? And the person said it's not that he didn't think the rules didn't apply to him. It's just that's in the Cuomo DNA. They are extraordinarily friendly, um, I guess, by nature. That is exactly what they asked her to say, and she said it. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So get this. Twitter will ban the posting of photos, videos, and people without their consent. That's pretty cool. Under the leadership of the new CEO, they announced Tuesday, it was revising that privacy program. Quote, sharing personal images such as videos can potentially violate a person's privacy. The misuse of private media can affect everyone, but can have a disproportionate effect on women acting activists, dissidents, and members of the minority community. I believe it could also hurt white men. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it's also going to affect me just taking these secret snapshots of Eric that I do during the course of the show, and I just upload them at random. And you blame other people. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I try cool. to put you under your account. I try. You're not as friendly as the Cuomo, Cuomo's. Nope. nope. Next, uh, I'm lucky to be alive. That, according to Tiger Woods, is speaking ahead of the Hero World Challenge charity tournament in the Bahamas. The legendary golf golfer spoke about the dark moments he had during his recovery from his car accident. Uh, he revealed he spent three months in a hospital bed as he began his recovery. Wood said he had ruled out a full-time return to the PGA. He feared he was going to lose his right leg. He could have been amputated. He went on to say, by the way, he's 45 now. He said he broke both his legs, but he said his right one, in particular 50-50, whether he was ready to keep it. You talk about a comeback. If this guy's able to win anything coming back. He said he's not even 50% there yet. At 45, time's not on his side. But people do things, especially in their 50s in golf. You can pull that off uh, if he can recover to a degree he can. And there's still a lot of questions. But it was great to see him. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State will be with us in about 45 minutes. He's going to be weighing in on the warning NATO's Supreme Allied Commander is giving to Russia to not invade the Ukraine. Will they, in fact, listen? Uh, also, I want to get his take on the Belt and Road program that it looks as though Hunter Biden, uh, which was, I think, representing his dad, that's according to the laptop from Hell book that's out, uh, was actually financing in 2013. Is that unbelievable? There's nothing more anti-democratic than the China Belt and Road program that would really go out of its way to circumvent us and supplant us as the world's leading power. We'll talk about both those things along with 
the death, we think, of at least 100 security officers inside Afghanistan as we leave countless Americans behind. We are not forgetting. Uh, coming up shortly, Ed the Lander. He's a retired Navy SEAL running for Congress in Maine's 1st District. And we're still watching these oral arguments take place, listening to these oral arguments take place at the Supreme Court. Uh, the future of Roe v. Wade, perhaps, in the balance. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. CNN brought this on themselves. CNN allowed Chris Cuomo, as a working journalist, to cover his brother, despite the manifest conflict of interest. Some of Chris Cuomo's statements about the extent of his involvement were misleading at best and lies at worst. So, I mean, they never should have been in this position in the first place. That is Bill McGurn of the Wall Street Journal. Chris Cuomo suspended for not helping his brother, but for lying about helping his brother. Did CNN do the right thing? Will he eventually be fired or reinstalled? Back in a moment. Number two. How long does inflation have to run above your target before the Fed decides maybe it's not so transitory? I think the word transitory has different meanings to different people. I think it's it's probably a good time to retire that, that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. Okay, that's good. Let's retire that word and just live life inflated. Mark it walloped. Inflation digs in. Gas prices rise. Biden spends. No wonder his political fortunes and party are in critical condition. Number one. If you have a negative test, if you're vaccinated, what conceivable justification is there for even considering such a grave deprivation of liberty as forcing you for seven days to lose the core freedom of movement over a virus that we're told there's an effective vaccine for? That is uh, Glenn Greenwald outraged about the proposed seven-day quarantine of all foreigners coming in from other countries before they could walk around in America. Omicron looks like the most overhyped, irresponsible reaction to a transparent, responsible South African medical report ever. Restrictions rolling in, left-wing states taking more control. And so far, the courts are standing strong, as are the red state governors. Let's hope it stays that way. And that's where we'll begin. Ed the Lender joins us now, retired Navy SEAL. Uh, actually, in 15 minutes, he'll be joining us. He's a retired Navy SEAL. More and more Navy SEALs. I think there are seven in a group that formed basically a pack to get into Congress uh, from Arizona over to Montana and now Maine. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing them successful because I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican. They already know what it's like to sacrifice for the country. That has to be the mindset when they go in there. It can't be the ego. Kind of like Dan Crenshaw. How great is Dan Crenshaw? I mean, the guy's going to run for president one day. So uh, as we look at what, what's happening now, we're looking at the oral arguments on the abortion case. It's pretty electric. I'm never used to, I've never heard this much on about a case that matters this much so far. Boy, look at that. So let me just tell you what's, what they're looking at now in terms of restrictions due to this variant, which so far has not caused, uh, I think, two deaths in all of Africa and has not been lethal. They say it's easy to spread. But it's nothing but a cold. You don't even lose your sense of taste. But yet we're studying it for 14 days, for 14 days. So listen to what the Washington Post says that they found out. They're looking at stricter coronavirus testing being weighed for all travelers in the U.S., considering measures such as a seven-day quarantine and retesting seven days after arrival. Now, look, if I'm coming over here for business, in and out, a couple of days, 48 hours, I'm not staying for seven. If you want to go for a vacation— Get a week off, maybe get 10 days off, take a day off for travel. Seven days, I'm going to sit in a hotel room? So forget it, hotels, forget it, restaurants, uh, forget it, rent-a-cars, forget it, airlines. I mean, what are these people thinking? 
We know the risks. Let us take them. But also, uh, so President Biden's looking at that. He's going to announce it on Thursday and put forward a detailed strategy to outline how we're going to fight COVID this winter, not with shutdowns and lockdowns, he says, but it sounds like a lot of restrictions. And, uh, you know, it's, our governor in New York is absolutely terrible. You got a terrible one in Massachusetts, uh, as well as the governor over in Illinois. I get it in Maryland. Not nearly as bad. I love what Alabama's doing. I love the results that, res, results that Florida and Texas have gotten. Why can't people learn from that? I don't get it. Meanwhile, uh, President uh, Biden is looking at a nationwide vaccine mandate on health care workers. That is blocked. The president's looking for a nationwide mandate when it comes to contractors working for the government. That is blocked. Temporarily granted. The uh, OSHA coming and overseeing private companies to make sure they're all vaccinated, over 100. That is blocked. That is great news. The courts are saying, can we please keep our wits and heads about this? And so far, Judge Dowdy came up and when he made his final ruling on as he as it relates to the healthcare workers and getting fired if they don't get vaccinated. He says, uh, Dowdy, he says he recognized Louisiana is likely to succeed on the merits for delivering yet another victory for the Medical Freedom of Americans Act. While Joe Biden villainizes our health care heroes with a jab edicts, I'll continue to stand up for the president, uh, stand up against the president's bully tactics and fight for liberty. They ruled there is no question that mandating a vaccine to 10 million people, health care workers, is something that should be done by Congress, not a government agency. It is not clear that even an act of Congress mandating a vaccine would be constitutional. Now, this is what they're saying and arguing successfully in court. My hope is it continues. My worry is it's not because you have Jim Cramer, who I, when he was at Fox, he was a great guy, but I cannot believe how wrong he is about this. Cut one. How do we finally put an end to this pandemic? How do we save lives and get business back to normal so everybody can put dinner on the table? Simple. The federal government needs to require vaccines including booster shots, for everyone in America by, say, January 1st. There are still some things that need to be done at a national level, and this is one of them. But as we brace for another wave of new deaths from a virus that has killed more Americans than World War II or even the Civil War, it's time to admit that our government has lost the ability or the will to make our people do the right thing. The government must require vaccinations, not of this group or that group, not company by company, not cruise ship by cruise ship or airline by airline or governor by governor. The buck stops at the White House. Yeah, I would say the buck stops at the White House. But his way of doing it, vaccinating, when we see all these breakthrough cases nonstop, that's the issue. Hospitals aren't getting overrun. The cases are going down across the country, outside Michigan and Minnesota. We're, we're dipping at just about everywhere. And that's what we should be focusing on, living with this, not ending with it. So... The woman, uh, the woman who gave the uh, prognosis about South Africa and a variant that we had not known before has written a column, and here it is. She says, as chairman of the South African Medical Association and general practitioner for 33 years, I've seen a lot over my career, but nothing has prepared me for the extraordinary global reaction that met my announcement this week, that met my announcement this week uh, that I had seen a young man in my surgery who had a case of COVID that turned out to be an Omicron variant. The version of the virus had been circulating in South Africa for some time, having been uh, previously identified in Botswana. But given my public-facing role, by announcing it, presence in his own patient, I unwittingly brought it to a global attention. 
Quite simply, I've been stunned at the response, especially in Britain. Let me be clear. Nothing I have seen about this new variant warrants the extreme reaction the U.K. government, and she could say U.S., has taken in response to it. No one here in South Africa is known to have been hospitalized with the Omicron variant, nor is anyone here even believed to be ill by it. Yet Britain and other European nations have reacted with heavy travel restrictions and fights from across southern Africa, as well as imposing tighter rules mask wearing and everything like that. The simply truth is we don't know anywhere near enough about the Omicron to make sure that judgments are imposed such policies in South Africa. We retained a sense of perspective. And she closes with this. Only yesterday I saw five more patients who had tested positive for this variant. They all had mild illness. So at this moment, I'm afraid it seems to me that Britain is merely hyping up the alarm about this variant. Yes, this picture might one day look different. I have yet to see an older unvaccinated people infected with the new variant. So what are we doing? I'm stunned by this was the, the, the subject of the Sunday shows, of the Monday shows. But in the big picture, no one's, we're acting like we've never seen this before. Governor Tate Reeves has taken a lot of slings and arrows as governor of, of, of Mississippi. Cut three. I'm afraid that they're going to continue to to issue lockdowns, to, to do mandates, to do requirements uh, in blue cities and blue states for, for as long as they can maintain control. Because if you think about it, the, the National Democrat Party uh, believes in centralized decision-making, whereas we believe in the individual and telling people the truth and let them make the best decision for themselves. The National Democrat Party believes in centralized decision-making. They would prefer to make all decisions in Washington, D.C. And he's not. He's taking control. Governor DeSantis, the best example. So when we come back, we'll take your call. Excuse me. We'll spoke, speak to uh, the aspiring congressman, Ed Thielander, uh, from Maine. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. In a half hour, Mike Pompeo. But right now, it gives me my, uh, it's my privilege to bring in Ed Thielander, retired Navy SEAL, running for Congress's, Congress in Maine's 1st District. Uh, you can follow him and help him at, at, at ed for maine He spent 21 years in the Navy SEALs. Uh, and he wants to uh, get the Republican nomination and then take on the uh, Democratic Congresswoman, uh, Shelley Pingree, uh, Democrat is currently representing that district. Uh, Ed, uh, what brought you What brought you into the fray? Why do you want this type of battle? <laughs> you know, Brian, uh, hey, first, thank you for having me on. Uh, okay. uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, very, very happy to be on and help spread the word. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not something I asked to do it. Uh, I was asked to do it. Uh, and, uh, it's stepping up one more time. You know, I, uh, I, I did spend 21 years in the SEAL teams, uh, you know, a volunteer firefighter. I'm a reserve deputy sheriff. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. When I was asked, uh, five months ago to do this, I said, no, they've been asking. And then they asked one more time. And my wife said, yes, you will. So <laughs> there's the truth of it. Uh, my wife's from Venezuela. And, uh, you know, we've been married 26 years. She's been here 27. Uh, she sees what, uh, here, what she didn't see down there, you know, it snuck up on him there and, uh, and then came down like a hammer and here it's coming down like a hammer more. It's time for us to make some changes and, and, uh, 
you know, make some peace in the country and get things moving forward the way we can. And do you think that you could do that from your congressional seat? Who has been your template that made you made you think, wow, I can make an impact? You know, uh, um, uh, I talked to Brian Mast the other day, and, and he gave me some good encouraging words. But I've been working for Alan West. Uh, I was doing security for him, and he definitely showed me that, uh, um, wow, this is, you know, it, it's it's not all ick. I mean, I actually told Alan when I was working to do security for him that uh, – um, I'd rather continue getting shot at than step into politics and not look where I'm at. And now you're stepping but, but, in. So you, you declared I'm August 30th. In. How's it going? You know, uh, the love that we're getting from people that are seeing the light that, uh, that you can actually have somebody come and represent the state of Maine, the district one that, that actually represents, you know, uh, the people here is uh it's amazing the the donations from people who have never and i've got seven people now that have told me to my face they've never donated to a campaign and they've done it uh and they've done it and made it hurt you know uh, uh you know somebody that makes a 20 dollar decision that that puts a hundred dollars towards your campaign uh that's significant i've got one that gave 500 that have never donated and that's crazy to think about that people are actually really they see something in this. They, they see that citizen servant that uh, is what is supposed to be in Congress. So, um, so you've been able to raise some money. What makes you a Republican? You know what makes me Republican. What makes me a conservative? You know, it, it's beliefs and core values uh, of, of family values. It, it's um, you know, it, it's freedom and choice uh, and responsibility is what makes me, you know, conservative and conservative values. Uh, I truly believe we need to come back to center a lot on things. Uh, I'll not, I won't pander and I will not lose, you know, my core values in this process that I was definitely told to surround yourself with good people that will keep you on track. And I definitely got some friends and family that'll call me out uh, and keep me on track as we, this process goes along. What was it's it like a crazy thing to get into? Yeah. What was it like for you as an Afghanistan vet watching what happened the way we left that country? Uh, you know, sadness, embarrassment, uh, uh, you know, fear for my friends, you know, uh, uh I actually just talked to Joe Gomez. Uh, that, that's, that's the name we gave him over there. He was an interpreter in Afghanistan, uh, General Joe Gomez, he did, uh, you know, he was a general during the Afghan, uh, during the Russian occupation of Afghanistan. He lives here now in Portland, Maine, and uh, we've been running around together. But he was our interpreter there. He did several tours. He went back to Afghanistan when he was a, living a life here in America to help serve and to see, you know, his family trapped there and, and uh, watch people trying to get out. It, it's you know, it's just something that didn't have to happen. You know, our transition in Afghanistan really started, you know, when we, we were all but one, but we still needed to clean things up in 2004. Well, we were started getting mandated, to, uh, you know, take Afghan troops out with you when we were, they weren't ready. And then it was more Afghan troops. Then it turned into, you know, uh, a bunch of Afghan troops with two seals attached to them. Uh, and, and then there was, you know, hey, you got to ask the terrorist if you can come in their house instead of, you know, doing a dynamic entry into the house. Hey, you got to wait to get uh, shot at before you can defend yourself. You know, uh, uh, but Trump changed those rules of engagement, right? 
He did. He did. And it got back to right. And then, you know, uh, but the, the damage and the mentality of that, uh, you know, it, it definitely stayed and it never, the slowdown that happened when those, uh, mandates came down to the military, you know, the, the leadership in Afghanistan, um, it stuck a lot, you know, and, and it hurt the way people thought. Uh, it, you know, if that never happened to start, uh, and then it didn't get, you know, he can't shoot till you get shot at, uh, we could have wrapped things up a, a lot faster. And then the mandate of, of what ops you can and can't do mm-hmm. to actually finish the problem wasn't being made by the, by the leadership on the ground. You know, it, 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 made the war last longer defund the defund the war you know was what was coming from congress and uh all you did was make it last longer and exacerbate the problem you went halfway uh a lot of great things were done there just the way it ended and then handing it over to china including maybe bagram air base uh, i imagine and oh. if you were able to get into congress i assume armed services would be a place you'd go yeah, it, you know, that would be one place for sure, you know. Uh, I mean, the blocking that's happening for, for uh, you know, that's happening, you know, my friends that are helping get folks out of uh, there right now, the other yeah. seals, the other, they didn't want their name yeah. organization. Ed, we're going to have to hold it there. Uh, Ed for Maine, Ed Thielander, not done giving up for the country, 21 years in the seals, now he wants to be in Congress. Ed in Maine. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I am going to suggest respectfully that people get the facts, particularly before government at all levels tries to overreact. Uh, Fact number one, viruses mutate. This is not the first mutation that we've had. And there's no guarantee that this Omicron mutation is going to spread throughout the world. Some mutations stay local, like uh, Brazil's gamma mutation. Number two, it does appear that the new variant is very contagious. So are most of the variants. So the protocol hasn't changed. If you care to, consult your doctor about getting the vaccine and, and, and getting a booster. You don't have to. Right. But the presidents, they're coming up with a, they say, a vaccine to possibly specifically go, th- go after the Omicron. And then they're saying, get a booster. All right. And now that's going to be, just wait. They're going to say, without a booster, you're not fully vaccinated. Just that's going to come. And, of course, I looked at my card. I got the electronic card in New York. And all of a sudden, and maybe it was there to begin with. I didn't see it. But my now my I have a year expiration date. When did that happen? Now, in the written card, I don't have one. But in the computerized card, I got an expiration date. So do we have to do this every day, and there's all these breakthrough cases, and we still want to wear a mask on planes and, and trains. And now the president says we got to do it inside. For a variant, we're going to study for 14 days. Why are we studying it for 14 days? You heard about the South African doctors. They said we've been looking at it already. And it was elsewhere before it was actually even in Africa where they first reported it. Senator John Kennedy weighing in there. And now they're talking about more restrictions. Even though he says not more restrictions, they say now we're going to have people possibly quarantined for seven days after they land, which means we're not going to have tourists this summer. Goodbye hotels, goodbye rent-to-cars, the few that have chips enough to to rent. And uh, goodbye airlines. That's going to hurt airlines big time. Alex Berenson wrote a book about this. And he says this, from what I know, this is not a big deal. Cut four. A, nobody wants to get boosters. 
uh, threefold. B, the vaccine mandates are collapsing, and, and they've now, all three of them have been stayed by federal judges. The CMS, the OSHA, and the federal contracting mandates are all on hold. So there's no mandates right now in the United States. And, ki and people don't want to get their kids vaccinated. And the powers that be are very well aware that vaccines are failing, and they want to blame this thing. And, and it's not going to work. People are done being scared. I wish they were right. I'm not sure they're done. I mean, we might be done being scared, but there's a lot of people who just say, okay, back inside. I'm not going to school. I don't want you in there. It's too dangerous. Dr. Hunan uh, Norcasm was on with Laura last night. Oh, excuse me, was on with Shannon last night, as I was, uh, talking about the president freedom fighter. Cut nine. Now, in terms of the reinfection rates, I, you know, I, I frankly think that's pure speculation. And in fact, you know, uh, what I would say is that the level of na uh, immunity imparted by natural infection, as, as we've talked about, it really covers, um, you know, all 28 proteins, uh, you know, and predominantly the, the, the five that are that are dominant. Um, and, and so, frankly, I think the naturally immune people, this this Omicron variant may end up being a very good test of how powerful natural immunity is. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, that is a good way to find out. And maybe we could be as just curious about that as we are about getting the vaccine. Just get the vaccine, get the booster, get the vaccine, get the booster. Wear a mask indoors, except for I'm not going to. One of the big stories that happened yesterday was been rumored for a while, and that is Dr. Oz is going to be running for the Senate seat. Doctor. And I, I think the first time that he saw how crazy politics was getting is when it was infected, pun intended, medicine. So he was looking at some of the studies when they talked about therapeutics prior to us even getting the vaccine. He said, Hardy hydroxychloroquine looks like a pretty promising drug. Now, there's need for other things like lupus. They're worried about it run, running out because people that need it for lupus would be an issue. And he was stunned at the backlash because guess who else like hydroxychloroquine? The president, Trump. And guess who didn't? Anthony Fauci. And guess what? Fauci would work his masses in the media against the president. And when Dr. Oz brought it up as a syndicated talk show host and a doctor that's actually practicing, he couldn't believe the blowback. And I believe on some level that has everything to do with why he went back to Pennsylvania and wants to be the next senator to replace Pat Sumi in Pennsylvania. Cut six. So let me talk about COVID for a second, because as a physician, I really spent a lot of time trying to understand what went wrong. And the mistakes are emblematic of other issues that we're struggling with in our great country. Remember the phrase, two weeks to flatten the curve, right? That metastasized into this incredible authoritarianism, overreaching, that did not necessarily make us safer. People with, with yards, big yards, told people with no yards to stay indoors. That's where the virus was. Remember, they closed the parks. They shamed people about beaches. Right? And now they're threatening the same overreach with the Omicron as you were just talking about. I think those choices should be yours, the American people's. And I, listen, I would love a guy like that as Senate, even if he's a Democrat. Uh, but Dr. Oz, they know he's a great person, great guy, and he'll outwork everybody while still probably being a practicing doctor at that syndicated show. Uh, he said he talked to Oprah right away. Oprah's the one who gave him his show, that she was he was a constant guest on there for a while. And Oprah said, go do it. Uh, I'm sure Oprah wouldn't. He's not the type of candidate she would vote for. But she didn't stand in his way. And I knew that they bring up some testimony and they'll bring up some shows that they say he highlighted people that didn't have the best credentials. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know he had some trying times on Capitol Hill already. I hope he's ready for the fray. I think he is Herschel Walker. I hope he's got depth on the issues outside medicine. Uh, Herschel, you know, outside the core issues of conservatism. Can he pick that stuff up? Absolutely. Can he do it and win his seat? He's got to show he's got that competence now. The problem for President Biden is 
this whole pandemic, the fact that we're still talking about it and still debating it shows he's failed because he said he was going to come there and he's going to handle it. You don't deserve to be president if you have all these deaths. He's got more deaths than Trump had. And he had a vaccine to work with. Here's Ben Dominich on Special Report last night, Cut 10. One of the things that we can learn, I think, from this whole experience going back to the beginning of of Joe Biden's campaign is that the idea that he based his whole campaign on, that he would be able to shut down this virus, that the Trump administration was doing a horrendous job handling it, uh, and that uh, that he would make a remarkable difference if he was elected, uh, is just politically not justified and is not playing with the American people. I hear you, Ben Dominich. Absolutely. When you say you're competent, you don't miss commemorating D-Day. You don't say, I'm going to have a press conference on supply chain issues and say, I meant Wednesday, not Monday. Really? Change your mind? That's interesting. You have a communications department. They should have known about the format. So now he says, Thursday, I'm going to decide on restrictions. When he said Saturday, I'm going to ban every all these eight African countries on Monday. That doesn't ooze confidence. So when we come back, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will be with us. And we're going to talk about this breaking news coming out of Russia warning NATO, you better not put missiles and bulk up defenses of the Ukraine. And they want to guarantee we're not going to spread east. And they named us as their number one enemy. China has no problem. But the American people had a different result from a poll. I'll share that with you and the former Secretary of State when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We need to remain vigilant and avoid escalation. Ministers made clear any future Russian aggression would come at a high price and have serious political and economic consequences for Russia. And that was... Uh, Jan Stolenberg, you know who he is, NATO Secretary General, because all indications are intelligence revealed, now it's public, that the Russians have about 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border and could invade in, invade in January. And now Vladimir Putin saying, I'm telling you right now, NATO, you better not expand and stop with sending missiles over there. Uh, Mike Pompeo knows all about these conundrums. He was former Secretary of State, former Director of the CIA, former Congressman, uh, and now joins us. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for your, for your time. Great to be with you today, Brian. So do you like what NATO's doing, trying to get ahead of this, or should we be doing this? Well, we should both be doing it, I think. It should certainly be NATO. It's their mission. Uh, it's their, their reason for existence is uh, pushing back against what was the then Soviet Union, now uh, of Vladimir Putin, who still thinks the greatest tragedy of the last century was the dissolution of the Soviet Union. He still wants to expand his empire. He, he thinks Ukraine is rightly part of his country. Um, but the United States needs to make clear uh, its expectations as well and the costs. And, you know, I, I like Secretary General Stolberg. I think he did a nice job there. Looks like what NATO's contemplating is mostly economic sanctions. But there are so many other tools in the kit bag that the United States could bring to gear to create the deterrence. Frankly, Brian, the deterrence that we had for four years, you'll recall, uh, the, the Russians took uh, a Crimea on President Obama's watch. It appears that they think they have another chance to salami slice Ukraine one more time. Well, they never really left, right? These so-called private inter- private soldiers just kind of just took a portion of Ukraine and just kind of nested there. Is that correct? So they've been in that southeast portion. It's called the Donbass. They've been in that region for a long time, and there's a hot war going on for a good long time. Folks shooting back and forth against this so-called uh, you know line of line of control where there's supposed to be a, a peace deal. There's artillery and folks doing bad stuff all, all the time. Uh, the United States and, and, frankly, the Europeans need to do their hard work to convince Vladimir Putin that it's just not worth the candle. And if you do that, if you do that well, you can 
be sure that he'll take note of that, and it'll reduce the risk that he decides to take some more of the people of Ukraine. And, you know, ultimately, Brian, it's not just Ukraine. He'll, he'll move back into the Baltics. He'll, he thinks that all of those former Soviet states are rightfully part of his country. So what you did is you guys were hitting individuals, fellow oligarchs and higher-ups, to make them feel personal pain. But it didn't really alter their behavior. It's not like they left Georgia, right? It's not, it's not as if they pulled out of that section of the Ukraine. No, it's true. They, we, we, didn't, we didn't push them back any further than the day that we found them when we, we took office. We weren't able to convince them to, uh, to retreat. Um, but we made clear the price of expansion, the price of that effort would be uh, pretty significant. And we knew that they had other interests in the world, right? We're not just pushing up against the Russians in Europe. We push up against them in Syria. We see them uh, fooling around in our elections. You saw what they did to the colonial pipeline uh, during this administration. This is, this is a full-on effort, a a complex effort by the Russians. We saw that you saw them blow up a satellite now what, a week ago, demonstrating another capability. This is what happens when America demonstrates the weakness like we did in Afghanistan, the weakness like we've shown against the Iranians, frankly, the weakness against the Chinese Communist Party. These other bad guys, these other dictators, uh, these other totalitarians around the world observe that and think, I'm going to take mine, too, while President Biden's in office. Nord Stream 2 is going to go ahead. They could still stop it. But Anthony Blinking's telling everybody, uh, let them finish it, even though it bypasses the Ukraine and makes them addicted to Russian oil and gas. And that they say is because we don't want to anger Germany. What's the danger of angering Germany for doing something they never should have done? <laughs> yeah, Brian, this is just bad policy. This is just not not, not intelligent, not informed. Uh, we had put sanctions in place while they built out a significant piece of the pipeline. We were confident we could keep it from being complete and having product flow. That product flow gives the Russians a stranglehold on German energy. The fact that the Germans can't see it is unexplainable to me. I think there are deep German commercial business interests that lie at Chancellor Merkel's uh, feet, and she's allowed this pipeline to continue because of that. But from our perspective, from the Ukrainians' perspective, frankly, from the Poles and other Eastern Europeans' perspective, this is just a really dangerous idea to give Russia this kind of stranglehold on their capacity to heat their homes and fuel their vehicles and drive electricity into their houses as well. Right, if, especially if you want to send a message, and they can send one right back. Uh, so they say that uh, Vladimir Putin just said he looks at America as the greatest threat, not China. They have basically, how would you characterize their alliance right now, knowing culturally they're so different, constant border skirmishes, historically they've never been tight, but wh- how do you characterize their relationship now? I think it's one of uh, practical pragmatism on the part of Vladimir Putin. For the moment, he sees a weak America and a strong China. He wants to be with the the person he perceives as uh, stronger. Uh, But you're right. It's an uneasy alliance. They've got a long border together. The Chinese have never honored that. He also knows that it is truly the Chinese Communist Party that poses a real threat in the end to his territorial uh, efforts in the East uh, and that the U.S. is not someone who's going to come disrupt his country. I, I think in his heart he knows that, but his effort, this effort in Ukraine, this effort in uh, uh, the, the other former satellite countries of the Soviet Union, this is at the center of who Vladimir Putin is. He, he wants to retake it on his time, and he sees sidling up to China for the moment as the most strategic, strategically advantageous for him right. to achieve that. So here's what Anthony Blinken said. By the way, I talked to a congressman, and you were a powerful congressperson, too, of impact. But I talked to one uh, the other day, and I don't know if I just don't know if he told me not to say anything, but I'll just tell you what he said, but I won't name him. He said that this is basically openly known that they're going to invade in January. 
And we know that. And Biden knows that. And the question is, what will he do about it? Having said that, here's the Secretary of State of what he said in a warning to Russia. At the president's direction, CIA Director Burns traveled to Moscow to convey our concerns, our commitment to a diplomatic process, and the severe consequences uh, should Russia follow the path of confrontation and military action. We've made it clear to the Kremlin that we will respond resolutely, including with a range of high-impact economic measures that we've refrained from using in the past. What's he talking about? Well, it's hard to know. I, I hope he's talking about real economic sanctions that strike, to your point, Brian, earlier, at the individuals who matter the most, the decision makers that sit around Vladimir Putin, these oligarchs. We, we were most effective when we identified the bad actors who conducted these activities, whether it was cyber activity or uh, the Skirball incident, and go after directly using a thing called the Global Magnitsky Act, which puts real sanctions on individuals that are serious. Right. I hope the administration is prepared to do that. They should be clear. They should be clear publicly about the cost that will be imposed, not just privately. That would be a good deterrent to convince Putin that it was going to be too costly for him to be as aggressive as it appears he intends to be. So i got to bring it to another thing that's unfolding now, and that's the Durham report. I know you try to stay above it, your CIA, Secretary of State. But – now we find out that Christopher Steele's source was actually in the Brookings Institute, who happened to be of Russian heritage. Now we find out his source, uh, this Belarusian, had no, was not giving any intelligence to this alleged Russian from the Brookings Institute. And now the Washington Post is walking back their article, changing it in the archive, saying we made a mistake because now the story that we wrote up in 2017 is not verifiable. And it turns out the source of it is an American. 1990, a guy that was with Bill Clinton as, uh, as early as late as 1996, Chuck Dolan Jr., who happened to be when Donald Trump was running the, uh, the Miss Universe pageant in Russia at the same time, where a lot of these salacious allegations took root. So all these stories seem to be made up to the point where the Washington Post is writing, is, is ripping up their stories and admitting they were wrong, not in a public way that the way they should, but admitting it. Might it be, yeah. Mr. Secretary, is it too much of a leap that Vladimir Putin was actually telling the truth when he said, I didn't do all this stuff? I, I must say it's, it's not publicly known, and I, so I can speak to the public facts. It is not publicly known that this dossier was largely a creation of the Democrat institutional elite leaders. We can see all the machinations behind it with Mark Elias and the gang. We can see that's how this was built. The media then took the bait. Um, I think that we should all be mindful when the media says we have sources. We should all now acknowledge that if they're not prepared to name sources, this is the kind of risk that they create, the misinformation campaign. Uh, but worst of all was our Justice Department and our FBI failing to get this right, failing to uh, take what I think they knew, that this was really thin sauce, this was really weak stuff, and building out uh, the Mueller report and investigation around what was clearly right. disinformation put upon them by the Democrat Party here. It is, this will be a stain on the FBI for an awfully long time. What I said, is that too much of a leap, that, that he did not interfere in our elections? Well, no, I think it's pretty clear. They were doing things around the edges of our elections. What the, 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 the core of the, uh, the Steele dossier, though, isn't even about that. The core of the Steele dossier is that somehow— our administration was in cahoots with the Russians, or the President Trump was a Russian asset. That's what Congressman Schiff and the others were foisting on America. That is patently false, and I think we can see the Steele dossier, which was the basis for these claims, was patently false. Mr. Well. Secretary, thanks so much. I appreciate you squeezing me into your schedule. Great insight. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. That's been Mike Pompeo. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.